In the Gospel of John, we find ourselves in chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 30. This is Jesus talking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Something kind of caught me by surprise the other day. I was looking through Facebook a little bit, and I saw a a post that was put on by Sandra Trapp. And that threw me off a little bit because Sandra has passed away a few years ago now. And I was thankful for it because it made me think about her. And I thought, my first thought was, did somebody make a Facebook for Sandra and put that up there for us to enjoy and to make us think about her? But then I quickly remembered, no, that it's a different Sandra trap. Because Dave and his brother both married Sandras. It also called me to recall a story. Because not only do the, do the Trap brothers marry two women with the same name, they also continue to use the same dentist. Our Sandra went down for a dentist appointment just for a checkup, and they were, I guess, escorting her in to the table to give her a root canal. <laughs> and, and they men, happened to mention, thankfully, they mentioned something about the root canal. And she said, wait a minute, I'm not here for a root canal, I just need a checkup. And it turns out the other Sandra was due for a root canal. (laughs) Sandra almost got it. (laughs) I just remember thinking, boy, I think I would get a different dentist than my sister-in-law if we had exactly the same name. Well, the reason that I bring that up is because we're dealing with Christ, and there's a lot of questions that are being asked of Christ at this time, and a lot of people that are making up their decision on exactly who is this Christ. And as we look through the Gospel of John, that's really the whole point of his Gospel, is that he wants everybody to know who this Christ is. And he's testifying to who Christ is. He gives sign after sign after sign. They're miracles. Miracles that Jesus did when he fed the 5,000, when he walked on water, when he healed somebody that was lame or blind. John almost, uh, most of the time, referred to those as signs. In fact, if you look up the word sign in the Gospel of John, he uses it 17 times. So it's a key word in his gospel. 
he was looking at all the miracles and the amazing things that Jesus did as signs of who he is. The miraculous things that he was able to do demonstrate the miraculous person that he was because he is the Son of God and God the Son. And so John is is proclaiming that throughout his gospel. Well, as, as we come into this point, Jesus is being grilled on kind of the same thing. He's finds himself in a little bit of hot water with the religious leaders. He heals a guy on the Sabbath day. And this guy on the Sabbath day, he'd been lame, paralyzed, for 38 years. And so a very notable miracle. Also a very confirmable miracle. Back at those times, it would have got everybody's attention. You realize one guy sitting by the same pool of water, hoping to be healed someday for 38 years, ends up being a landmark in the community. People could almost give directions around this guy. You go down to the guy that's sitting by the pool and you take a left. You know, that's, that's the kind of familiarity everybody would have had with this individual that's always there by that one pool that Jesus encounters. When John would write about this, everybody would, oh yeah, that guy, we remember him. He heals this guy that's been sitting by that pool for these 38 years and it's done on the Sabbath. Well, the religious leaders come around, they find that the guy's healed and he's carrying the mat that he's been laying on. And they're like, what are you doing? You're not allowed to carry a mat on the Sabbath. And the guy recognizes something very important. He says, the guy that made me be able to walk, he's the one who also told me, carry your mat. So I'm carrying my mat. He recognized the principle that the religious leaders didn't because they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. But we see Jesus taking liberties, really, with the Sabbath regulations. Now, Jesus, in other confrontations with people on the Sabbath, had recognized a few principles. One of them was that the Sabbath was made for man to give him a rest, not man for the Sabbath. At another time, he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, that's the thing that the paralytic understood. If that guy's got the power to do a God-sized thing to make me, who's been lame for 38 years, walk, I think he has the authority to tell me to carry my mat on the Sabbath. The religious leaders didn't get that. So they confront Jesus, and what is Jesus' answer to him? He connects it to his very intimate relation with the Father. And John even acknowledges, he says, look, this is why they were persecuting Jesus. This is why they wanted to put Jesus to death. And so let's back up a little bit farther as we look back in, in uh, chapter 5. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus says it's because of my close relationship with the Father, my oneness with the Father. He's working, I'm working. If I'm working, He's working. That this has happened on the Sabbath. Verse 18, it says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We often think of the father-son relationship in the structure of the family as far as the father is the authority, the son is to be submissive. And so there we look at the distinction in that relationship. Part of that relationship is there between God the Father and God the Son also. But the Jewish people primarily thought of the father-son relationship as recognizing a sameness of nature. You'll find other places in the Gospels where the Son will give a command, maybe in a parable or something like that, and it bears the weight of the Father. 
because they are father and son, there's a oneness in their family. There's a oneness in their relationship. And, and it's just that whole idea, even biologically, there's a sameness of, of nature. Within nature, if a cat has something, what is it? It's kittens. It's, it's other cats. They share the same nature. If a dog has offspring, it's also a dog. It's the same nature. If a human being has a son or a daughter, it's a human. It's the same nature. If God has a son, now you see where we're at. If God has a son, that son is God. They share the same nature. And the Jews recognized this. And now they wanted to kill Jesus all the more. But notice, Jesus does not back off. In fact, he takes it up a, a notch. He takes it up a level. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then we don't have time to read it all, but if you go through the rest of that passage, you'll find that Jesus will say, look, just as the Father is able to judge, He's the judge of all the earth, the Son is also the judge. Because the Father has given that to Him. Just as the Father has life within Himself, the Son has life within Himself. So rather than Jesus saying, no, wait wait a minute, I didn't mean to make myself equal with God, He actually progresses further down the same lines. I am one with my Father. I have I am the source of life, just like my Father is the source of life. I am the one who judges, just like my Father judges. And so Jesus actually presses the issue further, His relationship and His oneness with God. So who is this Christ? He's, he's the Son of God and He's God the Son. But now as we look into it, the, the passage that we read, Jesus is going to bring up witnesses. To witness to who He is as the Son of God. As we look at these four witnesses, the first witness that he brings up is John the Baptist. Now, it's important that he brings up these witnesses. In fact, there's a little uh, verse that can be a little bit of a struggle if you don't recognize a principle from the Old Testament. In verse 31, it says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. You see, if you look back in Jewish law, back into the writings of Moses, In order to establish something as true in the court of law, you had to have two witnesses. You could not establish somebody as a fact if there was not two witnesses. And so that's what Jesus is telling these religious leaders in that day. is He's saying, look, if I alone, and that alone is a key word there, if I alone testify about myself, you don't have to accept that as truth because it's only one witness. And in order to prove something is true, I have to have two or more witnesses to establish the fact. And so what Jesus is going to do through the rest of this passage is He's going to give witnesses to who He is. And the first witness that we see that He uses in verses 32 through 35 is the witness of John the Baptist. It says in verse 32, There is another who bears witness about Me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about Me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the Baptist came. He was preaching out in the wilderness. He was preaching along the Jordan River and baptizing people in the river. And what was his message? Repent because the kingdom of heaven is coming. And he gained a large following, a large crowd, and many were getting baptized. And and so then the religious leaders came to look into him. And they asked him, are you the one who should come? And he said, no, I'm not him. 
Now, when the people ask John the Baptist, who are you? He says, you know who I am? I'm the one that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm the one making a highway in the desert for our God, preparing the people, getting ready, because the Lord is coming behind me. Back in those days when a, when a king or royalty or nobility would travel out in front of the nobility, you would have like a road crew. And they would be going along before they came to go down that road, and they would be throwing the rocks off to the side, filling in holes, all that stuff to make a nice smooth travel for the king. And John the Baptist says, that's my job. And Jesus says, you know what? For a little while, you liked John. He was a bright, shining light. And for a little bit, you were entertained by him, but it faded. But John was a testimony to who Christ was. In the book of Malachi, the, the last part of the, of the Old Testament, the very last book and toward, and toward the last chapter of Malachi, again, it was prophesied that this one would come before the Christ to prepare the way. And John was that person. And he bore witness to Christ. But not only did he give the testimony of John, he also gave the testimony of the works. Remember, that was what got Nicodemus' attention back in chapter 3. Nicodemus says, you've got to be from God because nobody can do the works you're doing unless God's with him. From that time, we've seen him in the end of chapter 4 heal an official of Capernaum's son. And then we see him go on and heal the guy that was at the pool. So we're seeing more signs, more miracles. And so Jesus is continuing. He walks on water. He's, he's shortly, uh, he's going to feed over 5,000 people with a, just a small boy's lunch. And so Jesus is doing all these miracles, and those miracles were signs of who he was. Take somebody that can walk on water, that can feed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. Uh, by the time we get to the end of the story, he's going to have raised the dead on several different occasions. He's going to raise himself from the dead after he's put to death on the cross. And he's going to predict that he's going to do that ahead of time. And when you look at all the things he's going to heal a man that was blind from birth, there's just so many different miracles. And Jesus says, open your eyes, just look. You know, people are often saying actions speak louder than words. Well, that's Jesus saying, look at the actions. Later on, you're going to find that even with all those signs around him, the religious leaders are going to say, what sign do you give us so that we can believe? And it's like, serious? All these miraculous things that he's done and your argument, your answer is really, well, well prove it to us. Well, <laughs> you know, it's at those kind of events that Jesus ends up saying, uh, you know, a hard-hearted and adulterous generation <laughs> seeks after a sign and I'm not giving you another sign. You read on into John chapter 7 and you find the crowds, the crowds of people, and you know what they're saying? They're looking at this guy that's doing all these signs and they're looking at their religious leaders that aren't backing him. And their question is, when the Messiah comes, is he going to do more than what this guy's done? Isn't this the guy? Why aren't our leaders getting on board here? Why aren't they seeing this? Because this is amazing. And so with the works that are going on, you know what? You still find the same thing. You'll find that some people will believe and other people will not believe. They're determined to not believe. And no matter how many signs you put in front of them, no matter how, many proof, how much proof you put in front of them, they are determined to not believe. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, look at the works that I'm doing, the things that I'm doing. These are, uh, the reason that I'm doing this is to prove who I am so that you will come to faith, so that you will trust. So the works. But then not only does he use the works as that which is bringing testimony, and if you think about it, the works are really the testimony of God the Father. 
Because God the Father is, it gives His Son the ability to do these things. And, and so that is God the Father backing up the Son's testimony about who He Himself is. And that's really the next point. In verse 37, He backs that with the Father. And I think that He's both uh, referring to the works when he's, when he's speaking of the Father and the Father who sent me. He has Himself borne witness about me. I think that He might partly be referring to the works that He's done there. But then he's also referring, obviously, to a couple of other times. God the Father's voice, and actually an audible voice from heaven, testified that Jesus Christ is his Son. So God the Father is testifying through his Son. He did it verbally, and he's done it actively within his ministry. But then also, he calls one uh, final witness, and that is the witness of the Bible. I want to look at it through two different parts of the Bible right now. There's the first part of the Bible that he would have been referring to at that time, and that is the Old Testament. But Jesus refers to the Bible as a testimony or a witness to who he is. And he brings up Moses. The Jewish people were all about Moses. There were different times in Jesus' ministry when they say, look, we know that God talked to Moses. You were not so sure about. We know that God talked to Moses. And so they were always holding up Moses. And Jesus brings up Moses. He says, you search the Scriptures, and you think that in doing that, that in the Bible itself, that you have eternal life. But the problem is the Bible is the tool to bring eternal life, but it is not the source of eternal life. The source of eternal life is Jesus Christ. You can read your Bible for the whole, your whole life. If you don't find Christ, you're lost. It's not the Bible or a certain amount of daily reading or anything like that that gives you life. It's Christ that gives you life. It's the Bible that brings you to Christ. That's what he tells him. He says, look, if you would have believed Moses, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. You know what? I'd, I'd love to be in this passage right now because with where we're at in the book of Exodus and that other series that we were working through, we've seen so much of that. And before that, we went through Genesis. And so back in Genesis, you'll remember, we saw Christ in Genesis because we saw the need for Christ in Genesis because they sinned against God and death came into the world. But then we noticed that they were graciously allowed to continue to live. Why? Because this innocent animal lost its life to provide a covering for their sins. And we talked about how that points us to Christ. We talked about how when Noah was delivered in the ark, Noah was saved. The ark was a type of Christ because that's the salvation that God used to deliver Noah. And it's pointed to in the New Testament as a type of Christ because Christ is our deliverance. He's our salvation. We talked about when we got to Abraham and how God told Abraham to go take your son, your only son Isaac, and go offer him up as a sacrifice. And so Isaac was a type of Christ as God had Abraham take him three days journey and then lay him out on that altar and he was going to kill him. And then God stopped him and said, never mind. But what was God doing? He was showing them that one day God would offer his own son for the sins of the, of the people. And then not only that, but there's another type of Christ right in that story because as soon as he tells him not to offer Isaac, he says, get Isaac off the altar. There's the ram. He had a ram stuck in the thicket. There's the animal you are going to sacrifice. So the ram also pictured Christ. And you know what? By the time you get done with the writings of the books of Moses, you get the priesthood and all these sacrifices and the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. 
And that Holy of Holies would have a veil, which was the door to the Holy of Holies. And that's the veil that would be ripped apart and swung wide open when Christ died on that cross. All these things pointed to Christ. We were looking in Exodus about even while they're wandering in the wilderness, God provided manna for them in the wilderness. It was a bread-like substance. Other than that, we don't know much. Jesus is going to tell them, you look to Moses because he brought you manna in the wilderness. But it wasn't Moses who gave you manna in the wilderness. It was God. It was my Father. The true bread from heaven is the one that comes down from heaven and provides life. You see, that's what manna was. It was something that God sent from heaven, a miraculous food, a miraculous bread that gave them life in the wilderness. Otherwise, they would have starved to death. And Jesus says, I'm the true bread from heaven. So as you, even as you go on in, in the book of John, and you find that, Jesus saying he's the true bread from heaven. And shortly after that, he's going to stand up at this festival where they have a bunch of water flowing through this aqueduct. And he's going to stand up and say, I'm the water of life. And we look back to Moses' writing, and what do we find? We find them wandering through the wilderness, and they're worried they're going to die of thirst. And God has Moses strike the rock with his stick, and the water comes gushing out, and, and they live. It was the water of life that came out of this rock. In the New Testament, it points to that time, and it says that rock was Christ. All the writings of Moses are full of pictures of Christ. Jesus says, He wrote about me. If you really believed Him, you'd believe me. So that's the Old Testament. He's looking back into the Old Testament. The writings of Moses pointed them to Christ, testified of Christ. But I think we need to go a step farther. I think we need to acknowledge the New Testament. Because what we find happening here is as the Apostle John writes this gospel, he is continuing to testify to Christ. They're picking up where the Old Testament left off. And they're testifying to Jesus Christ. John stated his purpose within his book. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says, Well, the whole purpose of my book is to testify to the things that Jesus did so that you can believe in him so that you can have life. And so he looks at himself as a witness, a very clear witness to Christ. Also in John 15, it says, But when the Helper comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, and this is when Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and he's telling them, Look, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you anymore physically. But when I go away, the Father's going to send a Helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to do different things for you and within you. And it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he actually lists another witness that's going to be there, and that's the Holy Spirit that bears witness within our hearts. But notice John recognizes very clearly and records for us Jesus' statement that the apostles also would be a witness to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they are, is we're reading the New Testament, we're reading the teaching of the apostles and the witness that they left for us of Jesus Christ. Also, this, it's, it's interesting what Jesus told us would happen with the promise of the Spirit. Because the promise of the Spirit is given in that point in John 15, and he also talks in chapter 14, chapter 16. So for three chapters, he keeps bringing up the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he said this, These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's going to teach you all things, is what he told the apostles, and he's going to bring to your remembrance the things that I have told you. Now keep those two things in mind. When we get to chapter 16, again talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, I still have many things to say to you, to the apostles, but you cannot bear them now. They were under a lot of stress being told that Jesus was going to go and be put to death. And they're, they're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Jesus says, you know what, I got a lot more to tell you, but you're, you can't, you're not ready. You won't, you won't hear it right now. And so he says, when the spirit of truth comes, so some of the stuff that Jesus wants to teach him, it's going to come later through the Holy Spirit rather than right now through Christ himself. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Remember what He told Him in chapter 14? He's going to teach you all things. He's going to guide you into all truth. And so there's going to be truth that the Holy Spirit would impart to them later. And it says, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you, notice this last category, things that are to come. So if we take from these passages of John... What is the Holy Spirit going to do for the apostles when they get there? He was going to cause them to remember the things that Jesus had told them, guide them into further truth, show them things to come. Do you know what? If you outline our New Testament, that's it. The Gospels are the things that they remembered that Jesus told them and the things that he did. Guiding them into all truth is the epistles where the apostles continued to teach us how do we live, how do we apply the Gospel to life, And how do we understand the gospel in all that it is? And the book of Revelation and parts of like Thessalonians and a couple places, he will show you things to come. And so Jesus had really kind of promised the apostles that he would bring about the completion of what we have within the New Testament through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, John also in other places in John clearly recognizes his job as an apostle to be a witness to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19... He says, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And this is John talking about himself, obviously. And John always does that. He he shows himself all through his gospel and never mentions himself by name. He kind of leaves himself anonymous, talks about himself in the third person most of the time. He who saw it has has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And so at this point, he's looking back at the Old Testament and quoting scriptural passages. And he, as an apostle, clearly sees himself as a witness to Jesus Christ. And he's proclaiming that testimony. Again, in John chapter 21 and verse 24, it says, This is the disciple, speaking of himself, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John clearly sees himself in the purpose of this book and in his position as an apostle is clearly being a New Testament witness to Jesus Christ. And you couldn't ask for better witness because the apostles... All of them were eyewitnesses. They were there. The requirements for being an apostle, they were handpicked by Christ and they were with him from all the way back to the baptism of John all the way to to his death and his resurrection and they were witnesses to the resurrection. That's why like in 1 John, when the same apostle would write this epistle, he says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which, and notice he repeats himself, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He could not say more emphatically than John just did right there. He says, we saw it, we heard it, we touched it. All of our senses were involved as we experienced this life with Christ. You can't ask for a closer witness than the Apostle John who leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper. That's the kind of witness we have in the New Testament. Peter also would say something very similar in his second epistle in chapter 1. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, And we were with him on the holy mount. Peter says, look, these aren't cleverly devised myths. This isn't some elaborate scheme or some story. We were with him. So Christ is well testified to who he is. The very living Son of God. Who is the one who carries out judgment. And who is that source of life.